Welcome into the PHNX Sun Show. I'm Lindsay. That's Gerald. That's Espo. Saul will be joining us here shortly. But for now, we are welcoming in our very special guest, ESPN NBA insider, Brian Windhorse, calling all the way from Abu Dhabi. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. You're out there covering Team USA. How's it treating you? I mean, what am I going to complain to you guys about heat? Um, it's, <laughs> it's the desert with humidity. It's the first time I've ever experienced it. It's, you know, but look, it's a really special, spectacular place. And um, where else could you spend a week, uh, you know, covering Team USA in August? Um, it's, uh, it's been good. The team is, uh, you know, very accommodating. Um, everybody's in a good mood. They haven't lost it yet. This is kind of the ideal time because the tournament hasn't started and there's really no stress. Their families are still here. There's a, a number of college teams here. There's a bunch of games being played here in Abu Dhabi. Um, I watched a game earlier today between 15-year-olds from England and 15-year-olds from Qatar as part of a uh, international event. Um, Kansas State and the University of Arizona basketball teams are at this hotel along with Team USA. Um, so there's a lot going on um, here right now. It's a great opportunity. Well, Brian, obviously we're curious about your thoughts on the Suns. They had a very busy offseason um, starting at the top with, you know, moving on from Monty Williams and hiring Frank Vogel. Just curious about your thoughts on that head coaching change and bringing in the first coach in Suns history with actual championship success. Well, I think that there was a bit of a divide at the end there with um, what Monty had elected to do and what the front office kind of wanted him to do. And that's not unusual in NBA front offices. Mm -hmm. The problem was is that it wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. And even though they gave Denver the you know most trouble that anybody did in the postseason, when you lose under that those circumstances, and especially mm -hmm under high expectations and you know you could argue that it wasn't a fair accounting with durant because the team wasn't built out and it was mid-season and he barely played all that's true um but you could just tell as i'm sure you could gerald that um in the days leading up to the end that there was a growing divide there about um, personnel strategy stuff like that and one thing i will say is if you're going to fire a coach who's been successful. And Monty was one of the most successful coaches in the history of the Suns organization. If you're gonna fire a coach who's been successful, you need to have a plan of what you're going to do. Mm. You can't just go you know, blundering into thinking about what you're gonna do. And um, Frank Vogel has demonstrated in situations like this before that he can succeed. And I think one of the things about him is he's an extremely, um, he's an extreme optimist, and just by that alone brings sort of a breath of fresh air. And one of the things that we've seen in his career is when he comes into a situation, Orlando being the outlier, um, the team tends to bounce, there, there, there to be a bounce. We saw it when he took over in Indiana, saw it in, uh, in LA, and so I think they're probably trying to get that type of bounce from you know, obviously the big trade that they made, but also with the way Vogel's going to come in and I think try to, you know, change things around from the way Monty was operating. You brought up the big trade, but what do you, how do you feel about Bradley Beal and his fit here? It caught a lot of Suns fans off guard that that's 
the big move they made, but how does it fit with everything going on? Well, I don't think it's the most perfect fit um, because they are now really perimeter uh, heavy and ISO heavy, um, but the value was outstanding. Mm -hmm. uh, what they gave up for what they got back, you can't dream of something like that if you're a contending team. Now, there's asterisks attached, of course, because of his contract um, and his no trade clause. That is the reason they were able to do it. But on pure value, they crushed it. I mean, um, the, the Durant trade was extremely expensive. The Beal trade was extremely economical in terms of straight asset for, um, for asset maneuvers. So, um, you know, they're trying to win the championship this year. They're not trying to win planning organization of the year. Um, you know, one of the guys who um, I really learned a lot in the NBA from uh, used to tell me, used to quote George Patton to me, which is that a, uh, a, a good plan uh, executed vigorously today is always better than a great plan uh, thought about for tomorrow. And that is what the Suns are doing. They are vigorously trying to win today. And that trade brought them closer from a value standpoint. We'll see if it works out from a fit standpoint, but I think they're more worried about value at this point. So you mentioned Bradley Beal's hefty contract, which added to another one to the Suns' <laughs> mm -hmm. plate, which presented a little bit of a tricky situation as far as filling out the rest of the roster. But the Suns were able to bring in some really good uh, veteran players on vet minimums, as well as some young up-and-coming players. How would you kind of grade the way they filled out the rest of their roster? I can't believe some of these players signed on July 1st or even, I guess, July, June 30th in some cases for minimum contracts when they could have waited and seen if they could have gotten more elsewhere, especially uh, Utah Wananave. Um uh, Katie, a base job, maybe could have gotten more, but I think several teams are interested in Utah Wananabe. And this is where I feel my age. Uh, I'm starting to become an old fogey in the league, now my 21st season here. Ten years ago, the idea of signing a minimum contract on July 1st was completely preposterous. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, unless you were like Udonis Haslam, you know, like, you know, you knew that you were staying with the organization at that Nobody would sign a minimum contract on July 1st. But okay, that's not new. That's been happening for you know four or five years now. To get those players in those contracts um, was obviously terrific. The thing that I liked about it was that they clearly had a vision mm -hmm. of what they were doing. They generally got guys who have length um, so that they can be multi-positional defensively, and they got guys who can shoot for the most part. Okay, not everybody can. Um, and so you can see that they had a strategy that they were employing. Now, the one thing I will say is that these players, Wananabe specifically aside, because I really am a, I'm a fan of his skill set, um, mm -hmm. but uh, Bates Diop also, I think, you know, he kind of had sort of proven that he could maybe be more than a minimum player. But these guys are minimums for a reason. And so I would just say that the batting average on minimum contracts is, you know, 500 at best. 
and sometimes 250 at best. So yes, they did well, but keep in mind that when you sign a when you sign a minimum, you're basically, you know, signing a player that you think will help you win a few games, and maybe that player will help you win a lot of games, and you will look great, and it will be terrific. Um, but if a minimum player helps you win one and a half games or two games, he's done his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may say that bar is really low, but I say that bar is there for a reason um, because they're they're literally playing for one percent, you know, one and a half percent of the salary cap. So they should, you know, if they if you, they help you with three percent of your wins, you're getting good value. So. I think they got good value, but I also I'm seeing a I'm seeing a lot I'm seeing the Suns get really congratulated for these, and I'm just saying okay they did well, but just wait before you decide that this is the greatest selection of minimum contract players in the history of the league. Let's wait and see them play first uh, before you declare that. So bearing all that in mind, obviously the big question with the Suns being all in is do they stand a better chance against Denver? Maybe a difficult question to answer because. We haven't seen how Bradley Beal fits. We haven't seen a lot of these new guys. It's a lot of new guys, new coach. But when you look at the Nuggets, they lost Bruce Brown. They lost uh, Jeff Green. How do you feel that they stack up to Denver in you know near the top of the West there? So the thing is, I really you know I spent a lot of time in Phoenix the last couple of years. I really, 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 really like Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. I think he is the it's an absolute player that you absolute kind of player you want as your franchise player. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in him. Okay. I really, 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 really respect Kevin Durant. I have covered him from for a long time. I've seen him in many, many high stakes games, whether it was his first finals, mm-hmm. whether it was the Olympics. Whether it was the you know his finals where he was Finals MVP a couple of times, um, whether it was you know playoff games when he was in Brooklyn, uh, I have immense faith in him. So those two players being on the roster uh, to me makes anything possible. Mm-hmm. And I could sit here and give you a bunch of different reasons why the Nuggets will repeat. To give you reasons why I think another team in the West, you know, like. A lot of people seem to think that the Lakers are going to be right there. Um, you know, the Warriors could come back. The Grizzlies could, you know, have a bounce back when Ja returns. I mean, you can sit here and make a case for all those things. I am a big, big, big believer in those two players. And so while you could point out deficiencies as the roster has, you could point out injury situations, you could point out about Bradley Beal's, um, you know, last couple of seasons, which haven't been his best. All of that would be fair. Mm-hmm. I really, really like those two players. And um, Durant isn't the player he was five or six years ago, but I still think he can be a finals MVP level. And so I think the the Suns have totally mortgaged their future. They're in a bit of a corner that they've got to play their way out to make to verify all this. I think that relying on so many minimum players is a risk that's not exactly ideal. I could go on and on about things that concern me, you know, where DeAndre Ayton is going to fit, although as an aside, 
one thing that Frank Vogel has repeatedly been able to do is get the most out of temperamental big men mm. or big men that, you know, have had a trouble finding a total niche. You know, what he did for Roy Hibbert and Dwight Howard and even JaVale McGee. I mean, those are guys who Frank Vogel helped unlock. Mm. And, you know, but it's fair. You want to point out the deficiencies of DeAndre Ayton. Um, you can point him out. By the way, I think it's terrific he's playing for the Bahamas. I think it's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. And uh, I know, I don't know if my, um, I mean, it's Thursday morning here, so I'm a little off, but I know that the Bahamas have a huge game with Argentina. I don't know if it's happening right now, but, or sometime, but. A um, couple hours. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but um, I, I, all that, it's all, I'm not going to dispute any of it. Um, Durant and Booker. I'm a believer in Durant and Booker. And so uh, am I picking them to win the title? No, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying I'm a believer in those two guys. And I'll stand by that. I'll stand by it even if they get knocked out in the first round. Uh, I'm, I believe in those two. One of the biggest critiques uh, we've heard, and, and I talked to some coaches around the league who have brought this up as well, is this idea of positionless basketball in Phoenix and the lack of traditional point guard that it that they don't feel it can work. Do you think that it can work uh, here in Phoenix the way that they have it set up with multiple ball handlers? I've never seen Devin Booker play better than I did in the playoffs this year. And he was basically playing point guard for what percentage of the game. I'm sure there's some statistic that is there. He was playing point guard. Um, do I think it's the ideal situation? No. Um, do I think it's going to hold them back? Not necessarily. Of the things I'm worried about, it's not at the top. So, um, you know, I think Frank Vogel's assignment is going to be to get them playing steady defense and especially take advantage of what he wants to do, which is use the big man to defend on defense. And if he gets them to defend, the way that I know Frank Vogel can coach defense, um, then, because by the way, like look, go, go look at the Lakers where they were at defense when they won their title. They were right at the top. Mm -hmm. uh, look at the Pacers where they were when they were contending for the East. They were right at the top. If he gets them to defend, um, then I'm very much not worried about the efficiency of the point guard position on offense with the talent that they have. Brian, we had one last question before we let you go, and this is something I've been curious about. We actually had Mike Wilbon on a couple of weeks earlier and got to ask him about his viral meme moment uh, in the Valley Oop when the camera caught him and Stephen A. Smith. But I wanted to get your thoughts because I'm sure you've seen all the memes from over the summer of yourself uh, when you were talking about the Utah Jazz. Do you get a kick out of those? Like, what's your what's your thoughts on being <laughs> on going viral with that meme? First off, in Michael Wilbon's house in North Scottsdale, I don't know if he, if he was in his office when you were talking to him. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't in Phoenix. It is the summer. Um, somebody made a painting <laughs> of him. Did, did you? Did he talk about it? He did, show it yeah. Did he talk about it? <laughs> well, I'm glad he did because if he didn't, um, when I saw that, I, uh, I just, I couldn't stop. In fact, I took a picture of it. I have a picture in my phone of the picture. Um, so yeah, I'm glad he showed it to you. It was great. Um, the thing about that was, um, 
I like telling stories on television. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not a great medium for storytelling because um, we live in a world where uh, the topic has to change quickly and stuff like that. It's one of the reasons why I listen to more podcasts and I watch television. Um, and that set of circumstances was unique and then it was a Friday of July 4th weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was very little going on in the sports world and all the regulars on first take had the day off. In fact, I'll just be honest, the second string had the day off. I mean, we were, I was on the third string there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I got to talk and tell a story about the Utah Jazz. And so I know that it's not realistic. But my favorite part about that was, is that it was a story that I was telling. Mm. And I would like to be able to tell more stories on television. It's not going to happen. It's designed for those types of stuff are designed for podcasts. And the reason I did it is because I basically gave the same delivery the night before um, on the podcast I recorded. And I liked the way it sounded. And so I just brought it back. Um, mm. So the opportunity to have to, to, do, to do like story time for three minutes on first take. Um, it was a great opportunity. And I just wish I could do more of it. Um, it's remembered because Gobert got traded, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of days later, I'd like to or a couple hours later, I'd like to argue and believe that I've told other stories that were just as <laughs> enjoyable that, you know, maybe didn't stick because they didn't happen on Friday of a holiday weekend where the guy where the, something like that happened. But mm-hmm. um, so I loved that the people liked the story because um, we're, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we're trying to tell a story. What, what, what attracts people to, to watching sports is narrative, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, people criticize the media, sometimes unfair, that, um, you know, they lean too much or we lean too much into storylines. Well, there's a reason that we do that. It's because people like stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like stories. It's what, it's what gets them invested in things. And so, um, you know, if, if a few times in your career you can tell a story that people really connect with, then I you feel good about that. So that was the thing that I liked about it. You know, I really don't look at my mentions. I shouldn't say I don't really. I haven't looked at my mentions in like seven or eight years. Oh, wow. And people will say to me, that's not true. It's a lie. And I'll be like, okay, well, you know, I'll take a lie detector test if you want. But I don't really <laughs> care if you don't believe me. Yeah. Um, I don't look at it. So um, the other thing was it was a very high – um a high work time you know uh free agency and i was traveling <clears throat> stuff like that so i obviously saw some of them mm-hmm. um because you couldn't avoid it but i didn't seek it out and it actually is kind of um it's kind of scary because i didn't really deserve all the positive reaction that i got and it scares you because you think that someday you could do something that could be just as equally negative where you don't deserve all the negative that you got. So um, that's maybe the way I'm programmed, but um, I'm glad people connected with it. Um, You know, I've had the opportunity in this job. I get very fortunate to travel the world a lot. Um, Like I am right now, I'm on a 28 day trip to the Middle East and um, the Philippines covering Team USA in the World Cup. And um, I've had just a great opportunity to be overseas uh, five times this year alone, thanks mostly to Victor Wembanyama. Um, but but uh, all over the world, people come up to me 
and uh, and do that. So I guess if you're if you're known in far flung places in the world for something that people like, I guess that's a good thing. Have you gotten a painting of it yet, like Wilbon? <laughs> Damn, you know I would never hang a painting of myself. Well, we need um, to get that done. We'll, we'll, uh, happen for you, all right? Uh, whoever painted that was very talented, and I absolutely love it. Um, if if Michael wouldn't notice right away, I, I, I would potentially swipe it. That's how much <laughs> I love that little. It's not very big. It's um, you know, it's not it's not much bigger than a phone. But I, uh, God, did I love that painting as soon as I saw it. <laughs> that's awesome it is that's great well i mean like you said if you're gonna go viral for something at least it's something that brings a lot of joy to a lot of people now. Uh, ourselves included mm -hmm. wendy thank you so much for taking time out of your very late night slash early morning across the world to join yeah, us on today's show almost really midnight here i will have you know yeah. <laughs> well we appreciate it yes <laughs> absolutely have All fun right. on the rest of your trip thanks enjoy your summer Thank you.